0: We're workplace caregiver advocates, and we provide practical and inspirational training for working caregivers through the companies they work for. I'm Debbie Howard, and I'm a caregiver advocate, a market researcher, and a yoga enthusiast. I'm Jonathan Brody. I'm a gerontologist who has worked in global healthcare for over 20 years, launching both pharmaceuticals and devices for adults, as well as being a caregiver for my family as well.
1: I'm Tanya Krim, market researcher, gerontologist, caregiver, long distance, because my parents are in London. I'm also a coffee and chocolate lover. Our mission at Caregiver Camps podcast is to expand the boundaries of thinking around where and how companies can support their caregiving employees. We hope you enjoy this episode today. Hi, I'm Tanya Prim, your host for this episode of Corporate Caregiver Camp Podcast, and I'm here today with my guest, Rick Stone, who's the CEO of StoryWork International. So welcome, Rick.
0: Glad to be here. Thanks for inviting.
1: Very happy to have you, especially since we've spoken a couple of other times and I decided to... I really needed to have you here. So just a little bit about you before we get started so our listeners know who you are. Richard Stone, I call him Rick, is a nationally recognized speaker on the power of story and its applications in business, healthcare, and education. He got his start about 30 years ago developing story-based training programs for team building and leadership development, and he's been a leader in work on narrative reminiscence as well. He's worked with diverse organizations, including Walt Disney Imagineering, HP, and Kraft Foods, which is quite a nice amount. And his current work at StoryWork International is focused on using the power of story to assist leaders to transform their organizations and their approach to infusing their work with deeper purpose and meaning. Richard has co-authored and authored himself. The first book was The Healing Art of Storytelling. The Family Legacy is another one. And he co-wrote The Patient Survival Handbook. His most recent book, which I cannot put down, although I I just keep on rereading it, is called Story Intelligence, co-authored with Scott Leibengood. And that was released in March 2021. And I recommend it to everyone who's listening. He was also on the team that created StoryCare, an innovative program for driving behavioral change among healthcare staff to improve patient safety and satisfaction, and clearly that's very topical as well. In addition, he's a member of the board of PCI, an international organization located in Manhattan, which is committed to improving health, environmental, and social justice outcomes around the world using the power of story. So welcome again, Rick. We're honored to have you with us.
0: Well, thank you for having me again.
1: So I, as you know, have always been a lover of stories. Ever since I was a little girl, I've loved hearing them. I also love writing them. And so I naturally have a bunch of questions for you, a person who I regard as a chief storyteller, someone that I admire. So the topic for our discussion today is going to be the benefits of storytelling for corporations, which kind of doesn't do it total justice, but it's good enough. So I always like to ask my people, and I'll start off asking you, what triggered your original interest in storytelling? What's the story behind that?
0: Some people I know grow up and they, they grew up in a family where there were just tons of stories being told. And, and my family had its share, but I, it was not a central feature of our family life. In my journey, I ended up running an advertising agency for a number of years in Central Florida and was done with that leg of the journey i was burnt out and i was coming back from a hiking trip out west and i was seated next to some people who were also hikers and backpackers and and that you know what do hikers and backpackers do when they get together they talk about all the various trails they've hiked and and at some point they it was a long flight <laughs> i think it actually got, <laughs> it got side it stopped in new orleans because of weather heading back to florida and and they asked me at one point, have you ever been to the National Storytelling Festival? And I, I had never even heard of it. I hadn't a clue what that was. And uh, so I was curious and got to know them a little after we had returned to Orlando and they invited me to dinner. I invited them to dinner and they were heading up in their camper to go up to the festival. And I said, they asked if I'd like to go. And I said, well, sure. Anything to get out of Orlando and get away from the ad agency. And And I was seated in a A tent they set up these giant revival sized tents all over this little town and i was listening to a farmer from minnesota which is about as far from my life experiences as you can get i've never i've I've had a garden before but that's about it
1: (laughs) not a bunch of cows and pigs
0: (laughs) i didn't have cows and sheep and all kinds of other things to deal with but he had he was a third generation farmer michael cotter and i was so taken with his stories and, and I literally had an epiphany in the audience. A friend of mine who was a writer, he also came along for the, for the ride. And I turned to her and I said, I think this is what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And I had no clue what that meant. I had, <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was a clarion call. Mm-hmm. And when I returned back uh, to Orlando, I'd actually been working uh, with someone else on a thing called the Foundation for Mideast Communication. And we've been attempting to get Jews and Arabs to sit in the same room and have a conversation, which was a difficult proposition. Mm -hmm. Uh, I can
1: imagine. If
0: if I was talking to my Jewish friends, they would say, why are you talking to them? And, you know, are you a traitor? And and the people who were uh, either Palestinian or Arabic who were trying to get Arabs to come, you know, they would get the same story. Uh, But we would get people there. And it was really a tie. It was really an an experience of listening to each other's stories mm. deeply. and So we were always looking for ways to support the work and expand it. And we decided to do a fundraiser and a friend of mine, Haiti Schleifer, and I decided to do it. And we were going to do an evening of humor and we had spent our whole summer working on our best jokes. <laughs> and we got together with a friend who had a lot of theater background. And at the end of the summer, uh, this is right before I, I uh, went to the fe- the storytelling festival say, hey, we'd like to hear what we're doing and see what you think. And and when we got done, he looked at us as he was getting up. He said, don't do this. This will be <laughs> <with last> <laughs> embarrassing. It will be it will be terrible. And he walked out. And I looked at my friend, Haiti, and I, I had no clue what to do. And we said, well, let's sleep on it. But when I came back from the festival, the story festival, I said, Haiti, what we need to do is tell our life stories. And we went to work. This event was scheduled for the Sunday after Thanksgiving. And it was in a nightclub that doesn't exist any longer in Winter Park, Florida. And it was called the Cheek to Cheek. And it was a very swanky place.
1: Yeah, sounds interesting. And, uh,
0: <laughs> held about 250 people. And we, ended, we went to work on an evening of storytelling about our lives. And we wove in two characters. One was my grandfather, who was an immigrant at age 13 from Eastern Europe. And the other was her grandmother. My character was Morris Zavitsky and hers was Edna Zippelbaum.
1: Oh, that's funny.
0: (laughs) And uh, so, you know, we would do a a very quick, I would put on a little sport coat and a little cap and and, uh, let my glasses sort of ride down my nose and I would become Morris. So we told stories of our ancestors and stories of ourselves. And that was uh, that was the beginning for me.
1: So it sounds like a a healthy dose of serendipity, which always goes a long way. I think some of the best things are serendipitous. So that's a a great story right there, as storytellers tend to have. In your book, and I'm going to be talking about story intelligence, and I know that your abbreviation for that is SQ, which I love, I'm just curious, you tell, you refer to the history of storytelling. And without, you know, spending too much time talking about it, I'm just wondering whether you could extract a couple of key points, which illustrate its relevance to all generations of mankind. I mean, we're far from the campfires of yesteryear, you know, the day's story around the campfire, but how would you say it's still relevant?
0: Even though, you know, we and in an earlier day, we would gather around the fire to tell stories. <laughs> and, yeah. and it was usually, you know, obviously it was an evening event. There was not, there was no television and, you know, the sun went down at no internet. O'clock. Yep. <laughs> you know, it was dark outside. And, and especially in the winter, the sun went down at four o'clock in the afternoon. You know, there right. were long nights. So that was a challenge. And uh, story and human society sort of evolved together. I think we're wired for it. Our mm-hmm. brains are wired for it. There's a ton of research that's been done over the last few years about how our we really have story
1: wiring. Yeah. I think scientists have proven that we're kind of, I think, the only creatures on Earth that have this propensity, I think. I also remember reading that.
0: And I think that's what distinguishes us from all the other uh, species is we're storytellers. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we found that other species often use tools and other kinds of things, not just sometimes birds use tools i mean so it's it's it has nothing to do with our ability to manipulate the world it really has our ability to to tell stories and and we tell stories i think for a few really important reasons one is to make sense of our experiences so we we go through things and and, and afterwards the telling of the story is often to say what was that about and mm-hmm. then we tell the story and because maybe it wasn't clear what it was about or its relevance in our life. And it's only sometimes with years or a ton of time where we can look back and go, Oh, I see why that was significant. It wasn't clear at the time, but that was a significant turn. You know, there were serendipitous events in my life, as you described it, you know, at the time I didn't know that they were serendipitous. I just knew that these things were happening, but you look back and you go, Oh, it looks almost providential that all these things kind of lined up, right?
1: We hope. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) My my friend Hedy Schleifer refers to God as the kosher choreographer.
1: Okay. You know, which I
0: think is a wonderful term because there's a sense in which our lives get choreographed in ways that uh, we could never imagine or even plan. So we tell stories to make sense of the past, but we also, I think, more importantly, tell stories to um, prepare for the future. So it turned, and interestingly, the areas of the brain that are used for memory are also the areas of the brain that are used for planning and thinking ahead. So, you know, we, we reimagine the past and see it visually in our head. And, and as we imagine the future, we are once again seeing it in our head and uh, trying to say, what's that going to look like? And how can I prepare for that? And what kind of things should I carry with me on that journey? Uh, You know, is it going to be cold? Is it going to be hot? You know, what should I pack? Um, So we're doing that all the time. We're anticipating the future. So story is crucial for that. And then there's all kinds of other ways it plays into our lives. Stories bring us together and they can also divide us. Yes. So, you know, we have often identification with, with whatever group that we identify with because we often have a common story.
1: Yeah, that's a very, very good point. And, and
0: then we distrust others who have a different story, right? And we don't really know them very well, and and so we're actually sort of wired to distrust the stranger, uh, because we don't know that person from afar. Are they trustworthy? Are they going to kill us? Or are they going to steal our food? Or you know, they're not one of us. You know, <laughs> we know that one of us wouldn't do that, but I don't know about one of them. But story, once we know their story. Once we get to know someone, it changes everything.
1: And the walls come down.
0: The walls come down. Suddenly they're like us. And and even though they came from a different culture, maybe they speak a different language, their skin is a different color. We suddenly share a a common humanity with them.
1: Yeah, it's interesting, actually. You know, it's 2021 and we're seeing across the, the TV screens now, these horrific visuals in Afghanistan of these refugees. And I saw... I'm sure you did too this mother hand over her baby to a US soldier and you know I've read a lot about the second world war and I recall seeing pictures also of Jewish people you know doing having you know to resort to this you know bedraggled you know one one suitcase or bag and it kind of really was very reminiscent of a a generation ago. And one was hoping that we would never see these visuals again. So yes, it it brings things back. And I'm just wondering, you know, it's 2021 and we want to say it's a very different world. You know, there's a French saying, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose. The more it changes, the more it's the same. So I'm wondering, although we have social media and TV, which has in many ways destroyed the traditional storytelling thing. I think you talk about social media as having destroyed the, quote, containers for human connection and sharing. And I agree with that 100%. So my question to you is, how do we reintroduce storytelling as a value and slash valuable tradition in our de-storified world? Because those little snippets on social media surely do not count for you or me as story.
0: Well, it is a challenge. And it requires intention i think it requires intention of parents who have young children and uh, not letting them have screens or really limiting their screen time mm-hmm. uh, it requires us as adults to put the screens down and to gather around whether it's a central fire whether it's a, you know a potbelly stove or whether it's on the front porch and to spend time telling stories and I, I don't think storytelling is dead. Uh, there's a couple researchers I cite in the book that I've gotten to know here in Atlanta, uh, Robin Fivush and Marshall Duke, and they talk a lot about intergenerational storytelling. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of storytelling happens as we're chopping vegetables with our daughters. You know, son. Some Mary of the best dinner. ones. Yep.
1: Some no, of the and, best and,
0: ones. <laughs> and you know, it's just it's just sort of off the cuff. It's not it's not like we have a formal ritual where we're all gathered around the fire and we're you know, passing around the talking stick or something like that. Yeah. Uh, But it's informal. And often, as they point out, often we as adults don't think the kids are listening, but they are. Yes. They're paying attention. They're hearing it. It's going in. Yeah. And those stories are really pivotal for them. So Mm -hmm. you don't have to set up a formal time, but finding times to share your experiences. And as uh, as Marshall Duke and Robin Fawish talk about it, he said they say that What's really important in that sharing is is not just telling them about the good times, but also about the challenging times, times where things weren't so good and where we, you know, maybe mom or dad lost their job or there was uh, something terrible had happened and we had to adjust our lives. Those stories become exemplars for children, right? Because if you think about it, kids, uh, they're not tabula rasa when they come in there, but they, they, they come in with predispositions and all kinds of, you know, personalities already, but they don't have any stories or experience yet. And so our experiences become sort of uh, substitutes for them, right? They become references for them. So giving them our stories can be invaluable for them. And in fact, uh, they found in their research that kids who know their family stories are more resilient and have higher self-esteem. And in fact, it's the best predictor of them having resilience and self-esteem is knowing their family stories.
1: That's amazing. So in terms of uh, COVID, which is a story for all of us, you know, an intergenerational story happening right now. I think it's revealed a lot about human nature. You talked about personalities, predispositions, as well as reactions to situations. I think that specifically if we talk a little bit now or primarily now about the workplace and corporations, I think it's reinforced that people in the office who are not in the office, just, you know, colleagues don't have the same situations. They don't have the same stories. Their lives can be extremely complicated. So how do you feel that it has shone a light even more so on the value of storytelling for individuals as well as corporations. Because I think over the last year and a half, stories have emerged as a thing that maybe we were pushing to the side because of the earlier of social media.
0: Well, you have to understand about uh, corporations. I I think we perhaps romanticize what it means to go into the office. (laughs) there, (laughs) There is a certain degree of connection, but often it's not very authentic or uh, personal or deeply revealing uh, or connecting even. It can be very disconnecting. Mm -hmm. So let's not romanticize that. But we we do know that culture and organizational culture gets passed through stories. So what happened today in the office tomorrow doesn't exist any longer. The only way it exists is in the stories we tell about it you know whether it's uh, that failed sales attempt yesterday or the successful sales attempt that we made and you know that we celebrate it's only in the telling of the story that it's kept alive we know that in really robust organizational cultures there are informal places for that storytelling to happen and sometimes they're very formalized you know there's the iconic story of the xerox repair guys I don't know if uh, your listeners know that one but you know they used to get together for coffee in the morning for about an hour and it wasn't cuz they were just slacking off is that they were telling each other stories about difficult repair jobs they'd had and they were sharing <laughs> knowledge That's uh, right. it was a, it was yeah. a knowledge sharing event hmm. and uh, some VP got wind that they were having coffee every morning and, and said you know no more coffee you know, you got to you know you could be repairing two more machines and their efficiency went down because they weren't learning together. And and, w- and when they realized the mistake they had made, they they reverse course. So I think there's something to be learned from that. So we need to even if people are working at home, and they're on Zoom or whatever you know teams, whatever yeah. meeting they're using whatever medium they're using, we need to find ways to continue to share those stories. And and it has to be ritualized as maybe the beginning of a meeting, you know, where someone shares a story. So it helps us begin to um, connect to the history of what's going on and that we have a shared story Mm -hmm. together as we move forward, even though you're in your off your home and I'm in my home. well, we could each be in our own cubicle for that matter. Right. Right. Um, But we can have a sense through the stories that we're in this together. Yeah. That becomes, I think, a crucial thing that uh, management and leaders have to really pay attention to. And if they don't, uh, they do that at their peril, I think, because, you know, we're finding a lot of people are saying, I don't want to go back to the office. You know, I was commuting two and a half hours a day or whatever, you know, that time could be much more productive. And I could take half that time and be with my family, for goodness sake.
1: Yeah, huge statistics. I think I read like 95% of people and they've got this thing, which I'm actually, you know, perfect segue. You know, there's this concept starting that's meant to like really, go full swing in September called the Great Resignation, which is, I'm sure you're you're familiar with it, you know, employees are saying, well, you know, I'm either quitting or I'm going to negotiate with you and, you know, I want to be working from home. Exactly, you know, one of the points you're making. And one of the key segments, like 30% of the workforce, apparently, are working caregivers. Um, There are 53 million of those in this country, 41.8, and I hate numbers, but I happen to know this, are taking care of older adults. Um, you know, 50 plus, the working mom thing, I think has been established already, but really COVID has contributed to additional stresses on caregivers. So based on your experience with corporations, and we'll discuss this more in a few minutes, how do you think that storytelling modules could be used by corporate leaders um, to engage, support, and retain this particular segment of stressed out employees?
0: Well, I think there's a couple of important things to to. Focus on here. uh First of all, one one is just to acknowledge the, the issue. Companies, that you'll know, leaders have to acknowledge that this is an issue, and in some ways, it's been a hidden issue.
1: Yes, it's I call it the hidden. dirty little secret, just so it you know. Dirty, that, yeah, yeah, it was a dirty
0: little secret. People were caring for their their ailing mother or father or grandparent, or they had their kids, and 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 you know, and they and they just had to cope and deal with it. And now it's sort of out of the
1: out of the box. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's out of the box. We're looking at it and seeing it. So we have to recognize it and, and we have to find ways to accommodate that. And I think that people are saying, you know, the economic engine is important and we have to, but it also, we owe something to people who work for us mm-hmm. <laughs> to find a way to support them and, and find new ways. And I know you and your partner are also looking at that as, as an, a crucial issue, the way that story can perhaps be of use here. Is in a thing I call instrumental storytelling, and we've mm-hmm. talked a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, you want to describe it for our audience because I mean I love yeah. it and I know yeah. about it, but
0: so there's different kinds of reminiscence, you know, that the uh, academicians have sort of sliced and diced, and there's a taxonomy of reminiscence, and but there's a certain kind of storytelling which is about uh, telling stories about past challenges that we've overcome to help us in the present. And there's a huge amount of research. I personally uh, kind of got involved with this research uh, at Novant Healthcare. We were actually looking at how we could facilitate the healing of patients and actually perhaps shorten their hospital stay or improve their um, recovery rate. And there's a huge amount of research that suggests when they get a chance to tell their stories, it actually empowers them. It empowers them in the present because it reminds them that they, uh, are stronger than they realized. It, it reminds them of the fact that they have faced past challenges and gotten through them. And if I got through that, then maybe I can find a way to get through this. And so it's easy to get discouraged, especially, you know, when we're in the middle of it all. Yeah. So we need reminders of our resilience and strength. And when we have those, it helps us, um, weather the storm, I think. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Finding ways to help employees discover their strengths from the past can be a very, a very invaluable thing, whether whether it's a morning kind of uh, over coffee, even though we're all on Zoom where we're talking about uh, our instrumental stories, where and they don't have to be long, but just as a, as a kickoff for the day. OK, yeah. yep, yep, I, OK, I can get through this. <laughs> yeah, I, I can juggle all these things. <laughs>
1: I can give, yeah. I mean, so it's interesting because I had specifically... Um, I, I know we had discussed in the past instrumental reminiscence. I also had talked, you know, read about integrative reminiscence and transmissive reminiscence. Um, so integrative view, I think, just defined as something that may include trauma, betrayal, or destructive conflict with someone we loved. It enables you to realize you have been courageous. And one of the things that I absolutely loved, and, you know, to me, this is like a Rick thing. So <laughs> um, it's the floor plan that you gave to, I think it was children of alcoholics, to recall their um, childhood home and to maybe not just focused on the bad stuff, but maybe there were rooms where there were positive experiences. Um, So that was something interesting. And I'm just going to you know, throw that in and then the transmissive reminiscence, which sounded, you know, a bit like a grandparent telling a child or a grandchild something. So I was just wondering, if we talk about this, if we put reminiscence, the various forms into a bucket, how could those be applied in addition to, you know, coffee in the morning? Is there something, some type of module that could be created effectively for working caregivers who are clearly dealing, and again, everyone's dealing with something, but just for the purpose of this, working caregivers of older adults, um, or even sandwich generation carers who are taking care of their kids and older adults? Is there some type of tool that could be used profitably in organizations um, to make the working caregivers feel that, you know, I think I can, I think I can?
0: Well, you know, there's, um, there's a guy named Penny Baker who did a lot of research on, he called it the writing cure. And uh, essentially it's simple, is to write for 20 minutes about a problem you're having. You know, or a problem you had, right? And I, I'll couple that. There's a woman that I've worked with through the years, Nancy Klein, who uh, she lives in England, by the way, but she's really? American.
1: The best people come from England. <laughs>
0: yeah, well, she came from Texas, I think, originally, uh, but made her way to England, and so she's good. <laughs> yeah, and lives in Oxford actually. Oh. And uh, Nancy has spent her life thinking about thinking. And she has a saying, she says, the the brain that contains the problem contains the solution. I love that. And sometimes when we're in the middle of a problem, we can't see the solution. Mm -hmm. And so uh, she calls it creating a thinking partnership in which uh, someone else gives you good listening, just provides listening. And in fact, she says the quality of our thinking is commensurate with the quality of listening we receive from another person. Mm. So when we get good listening from someone who's just there to listen, not there to solve the problem, and occasionally though we will bump up against uh, an assumption we've made about ourselves or the world that's not true, but it looks like it's a, it it looks like a brick wall, (laughs) you know, it looks like something that cannot be climbed over or around or whatever. And, and we've, we've built it up to be something that's impossible. And uh, so the role of the thinking partner is to help, uh, help the person kind of see that as, as a um, limiting assumption, a false limiting assumption, essentially. But, but when people are given a chance to either write about their solutions to their problem and just write for 20 minutes every day for a few days, or, uh, or to have a good listener, someone just to listen for a few minutes, they usually can figure out how to solve their problem they can figure out how to how to juggle all the issues of being a caregiver and also getting their work done for their job. And it's only when they're in the kind of uh, enmeshed in in all the problem that that they stop thinking well.
1: It's actually interesting because you're talking to a journalist, a journal writer. I shouldn't say journalist. I started when I was a teenager. I stopped and I started again two years ago when, you know, life became interesting. Interestingly, I think that 20 minute thing, the path to transformation, I think you call it in your book. And I I had read elsewhere as well. It actually has physical and psychic as well as psychic benefits. I mean, it boosts the immune system. I think it's better for the heart.
0: You know, the the other thing about this is that there's a thing we call storylines. And in every situation, we have a choice of what story we tell about that. And we as humans have a tendency to catastrophize. We have a tendency to look at what's wrong, not what's right. And we can easily go down a rabbit hole and get ourselves spinning, you know, around all the all of what's wrong. And the more we see wrong, the the deeper the hole gets and, and and the more difficult it looks like to even come up with any solution. Yeah. So each of us, I don't care. You know, Victor Frankl is a great example. Here's someone who, if people listening don't know his story, he was a hol- he was in Auschwitz, mm-hmm. and uh, he found that even in the middle of that horrific situation, uh, he would find a way of finding humor even in the darkest things, and that's what helped him survive that.
1: I do think sometimes that's characterological, though. You know, like could there's be, always it yeah, could, yeah. could have
0: been his character, that, yeah. But I, I, I really do think, Tanya, that uh, that we have a choice at every moment, what story we tell about what's going on. Yeah. So we can, um, we can say, well, here we are in round four. Gosh, it's going to be worse than it was last the last time this happened. Oh my gosh, I don't know how I can get through this. And you know, we can really spin ourselves into uh, a knot, or we can ask the question. What's possible right now? What's yeah. the one thing I can do right now that could make this better? Often there is something I can do mm-hmm. that, uh, that can shift it. Not entirely. I'm not, it's not going to take away the issue that, that I have a, a parent who needs a lot of care or has dementia or whatever, but I can look for the gems that are maybe scattered around that I'm not seeing because I'm so focused on what's wrong. So that that's our that's a choice, I think. And so that's that's what we as humans have the capacity to do because we're storytellers. We have a choice about what story we tell. It doesn't change the facts on the ground, but it changes our focus,
1: our perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So given the fact that you are very experienced in working with corporations um, and enabling them to craft attention, getting interesting stories about themselves, let's talk a little bit about the techniques that you're using for that type of sessions that you find most effective. And I don't know if I may be as bold to say that, you know, if you're teaching you know, the, the higher echelons in the corporations, you know, how to craft stories. One would hope it would trickle down or they would help it trickle down to their employees and, you know, craft a story that even in a dark time has got, you know, those those that light sprinkling through.
0: We have a notion that um, every com- company needs a master story. And a master story is a story that speaks to the purpose and significance that the company wants to have in the world. And it's not a story about money or, uh, or bottom line. It's a story about making impact in the world in some profound way. So I'll give you an example. My uh, partner, Scott live and uh, has a bakery in Winston Salem called Dewey's. has been there 80 years, but they also, they make wholesale cookies and they're, they're distributed all over the country and, so there, theirs is uh, We Are Creators of Delight.
1: Oh, I love that.
0: <laughs> That's their master story. And you don't hear anything about cookies or crackers in that. You don't hear anything about baking in that. <laughs> and, uh, and 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 so the cookie is incidental. So it might mean that someone who's in their retail store in Winston-Salem and they get a call from somebody who's, whose mother is dying and has fond memories and grew up with Dewey's, cookies and they're an hour away from Winston-Salem and they get in a car and drive an hour with a cake and deliver it to them.
1: Was that a long-standing kind of tagline or no, let me put no, brand no, essence? No.
0: We, this came out of the, in the last year, a few years.
1: I think that's absolutely brilliant.
0: Yeah. yeah. So a company that starts out with something like we are creators of delight going to work for somebody like that versus, Hey, we make good cookies and we may uh, to make a lot of money. Um, where do you want to work? <laughs> I want to
1: work with the delights creating. Yeah, you want people. to work with the
0: delight people, you know, because yeah. it sounds like that's a delightful place to work, and it is. Yeah, it is a place that that uh, cares about people deeply.
1: Is there some other stuff that happens though? Like, is the building designed? You know, does it have kind of like delightful cues? I'm just like wondering before I forget the question. Well, they,
0: <laughs> they, they they think about that. They you know the the retail store. They think about how do they how do they make the store a place that is a Uh, everything, every, that every touch point has that kind of built in. So they're not perfect, but it's, it is good. The other thing is that we say that every individual in an organization has to have their own master story. What, what is your master story? What is your deep purpose? What are you called to do? So when companies take a look at these and they have their own master story as a company and they, and they encourage the development of their people to discover what their master story is. Now, if you think of that as an integration of those two things, that's a very powerful formula, I think. You know, we've had we've had for a long time in corporate America an alignment model. The company says well, this is what our mission, vision, and values are, and let's get everyone lined up. and There are posters everywhere to remind yeah. us of what the values are. And I don't know about you, but I've been in some places where those things are plastered all over the wall. Me too. I was working once with some managers in a major healthcare organization out in California. And I said, what are the values around here? And nobody knew them. They had, you know, they were calling them out until someone fished out of their purse a card. Yeah. And, and, and <laughs> you know, and they went, oh, yeah, that one was last year's value. These are the new values, you know. So those values don't exist in any kind of integral way into the hearts of people. So, uh, I think one of the ways that values get uh, carried is through stories. so if you ha- if you have a good story that embodies what the values are, that's a way of of transmitting those to to new employees and letting them know what's important. So I think an organization where we can say it doesn't have to trickle down, it can be very intentional that we want everyone to figure out what their master story is.
1: Do they have to like when you're working with the corporations, Rick? Do you, if let's say, and I just jotted down, Dewey's we are creators of delight. Um, again, this is meant to be an open-ended question. To what extent, if at all, do the employees all have to craft their master story and incorporate this concept of delight? Or, you know, can you work at Dewey's? And well,
0: that, that, that would I'd say, would be an alignment. So, right uh, issue. So that's not. So at Dewey's, we had the teams all figure out what their variation would be. And so you can imagine accounting was a little different than yeah. <laughs> people who were back in the plant who were making the cookies, but they were all variant, variants on that.
1: What was the accounting? Well, I mean, I always think that's uh, anything but I delightful. I do not have it
0: off the tip of my tongue, but <laughs> it was really about about supporting uh, others. Supporting
1: others' delight. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, but uh, but supporting the organization so that it could uh, that it could sustain itself and 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 produce good work for the community. Mm-hmm. But and we took all of their leadership team uh, through this master story process. So and then part of uh, their uh, coaching process with the HR was to regularly meet and say, well, what's what's your master story? Okay, so how can I help you? in your professional development, realize more and more of that in your work.
1: How, how regularly does the master story get rewritten either for the corporation or for the employees? No, well, I think that's something.
0: In fact, Scott, I was talking to him recently. I think he's in a revision process right now. Okay. They, they're, they're kind of going through some growth and changes. Uh, they had a large uh, company out of France purchase a large percentage of their company and they're opening a new retail concept that they're going to test Uh, This coming year. And so I think they're 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 taking a hard look at it and saying there's a lot of new people there and it's Mm -hmm. time for a refresh or or a revisit. So Mm -hmm. I think it's it should never be something that that gets written stone that becomes so codified and rigidified Mm -hmm. that it can't change because companies change
1: and stories are always in motion aren't they our own stories in motion sure. so company stories also in motion yeah I think.
0: well take a company like walt disney for example when walt was there it was a very different company than it is today
1: yeah
0: entirely different company it's a whole different experience and to um to try to you know, and it has this wonderful tradition so it has some roots there but some of the some of that was it used to be after walt died it was always what would walt do
1: yeah and
0: that constricted them Right. No, no one could think on their own. They always say, well, Walt wouldn't would do that. Well, then I guess we shouldn't do that. Yeah. You know, who knows what Walt would have done? I don't know, but mm-hmm. um, they had to change. Right. And you know, even like a company like IBM, you know, what does IBM, IBM has, doesn't even look anything like it looked like when it was first started. It's a you don't even
1: company. hear about it so much anymore because it's yeah, being it's overtaken by other On the
0: ropes right yeah. now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You
0: know, so, and hopefully they'll, you know they'll they'll re- they'll recreate themselves. Right. Yeah, you know, but they've done that a few times.
1: Yeah, I guess we all do over the course of a lifetime. The story is always unfurling, um, unraveling, um, continuing. To wrap up, although I could talk to you for another hour, I was like talking to you. What are, if you think about the benefits of key benefits of storytelling, including master story creations? What are the benefits that that those offer corporations, working caregivers, and our communities in general? Because I think we are thinking about the business world as well as society and the globe in general at this big moment.
0: Well, first thing to recognize is that companies have a story whether they recognize it and embrace it or not. There is a story running there. So the first thing for any leader in a business is to embrace the idea that that story is important. And then the question is, who's writing the story, who's authoring the story. And so I, as a leader, um, I want to have a hand in authoring not only this, not just the story of the past, but I want to author the story of the future. So story becomes a crucial tool for thinking about possibilities and envisioning possibilities. Uh, It's the same is true for us as individuals. So we have to ask the question, what's our future look like? What story do I want to live? in the coming year or two years or three years. And employees are asking that question right now, right? I
1: was just going to, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I'm thinking, yep, if they're all the great resignation, they're really, well, they're really saying, wondering. Uh, they're
0: saying that old story doesn't work for me any longer. Right. We need a whole new story. Mm-hmm. And our world is demanding of us that we reappraise the story that we've been living in. And so there's a story that was sort of a, there's a lot of assumptions built into our whole economic system. There's lots of stories built into the way it is and why it is the way it is. And but it's just a story. Yes, it's a story, really. It's <laughs> just a story. And can we create a story that's better for all of us? Right. Like that actually supports our own growth. It supports uh, the vibrancy of people. that supports the diversity of the world we live in. That embraces that diversity and celebrates it. That's a different story, and I think that's a story that a lot of people are saying. That's the story I want.
1: It's interesting, actually, because I know you know you had come. You reworked Buckminster Fuller's um, statement, and he was just for people who don't know a 20th century inventor and visionary. And you came up with this line, which I have written down because it was just so beautiful, and I could not remember it. To change the trajectory of your possibilities, construct a new version that makes your existing story obsolete, and I guess. That is really, you know, what you're doing, what, what I think I'm hearing you saying is that you're trying to encourage corporations and individuals within them to do just that, like confront it, it is a new moment in time. We do have a new story, both on an individual and societal level. And now is the time to embrace the fact that the story is changing. We need to work to figure out what it is. Did I get that one right?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and you know, the thing we haven't even talked about is the environment. How do we create a new world that uh, where where the environment is also part of the story and it's a player at the table?
1: Right. And it's environments on, you know, in different dimensions of environment. Sure. So as a fellow lover of stories and storytelling, Rick, as always, it's been really enjoyable to speak with you. I think that what we can agree on is that storytelling is a way in which we can listen and learn from others, um, similar or diverse perspectives, whatever they have. And therein really lies the road forward for all of us. Um, If we want a better corporate world, a better society, a better family life, um, we have to think about what the story has been and where it needs to go in order to give us, I guess, greater satisfaction, empathy, and resilience in the world in which we find ourselves. Is there anything else that you would like to add Uh, to that?
0: Beautifully said, (laughs) Tom. Thank you for having me on the show. It's been great.
1: Thank you for being here. I really appreciate all the gems and I hope that we will be in touch again. And for people who are listening, feel free to go to www.caregivers.com to hear the podcast again and again, if you like. And Rick, again, it's been a pleasure and I hope to speak with you again soon.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye.
1: thanks so much for joining us today. This is Debbie Howard. This is Tanya Krim.
0: And I'm Jonathan Brody. We are the hosts of Caregiver Camps podcast. Please feel free to share our podcast and consider joining us for new perspectives in creating more productive, caregiver-friendly workplaces. Come visit us at caregivercamps.com to learn more about how we can help your company. Thanks so much for listening. See you next time at Caregiver Camps podcast.